But I want to introduce a new series that we're going to begin going through over the next few weeks, actually through the month of February for sure, and we'll kind of see how it progresses from there. Uh, we're doing a series called, Did God Really Say? We're going to talk about different phrases or, or things that God has said that our culture questions and, and doubts. Uh, things about, did God really say that the unborn child is a human being created in his image? Did God really say that? Or are we just trying to make that up? Did God really say that he created men and women with a specific purpose and a specific meaning? We're going to look at how scripture teaches us things that our culture often questions and says, does the Bible really say that? And before we delve into some of those topics, I think it's important to address that question about did God really say? Is that really what he said? And is it important if, if he said something like it, but we want to believe just something a little bit different? This morning, as we, we look at this question, did God really say, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. And as you're turning there, we want to ask ourselves a question, do God's words matter? And I'll ask that not rhetorically, I'll ask those of you sitting in here, and if you're sitting at home, answer out loud, if you would like, do God's words matter? Absolutely they do. But why do they matter? Why is it so important? And, and we can come up with all of these reasons because God told us they are important. Well, that sounds a little rhetorical, right? Well, they're important because God said they're important in his word, which is important because God said they were important, which is in his word. Do God's words really matter? And why do they matter? What's the danger of not paying close attention to the very words of God? And what's the danger when we start manipulating God's words? We're going to read in Genesis chapter 3. Our key verse is going to be verse 1, but we're going to read the first seven verses. And as we do, we're going to hear the story about how Adam and Eve fell into temptation and sinned. It's just kind of ironic how things play out time-wise. I had this message planned since the beginning of the year to kick off this new series starting this week. And, and in doing so, this message, did God really say, dealt with Genesis chapter 3. And just yesterday... On my Facebook memories was a quote that Hannah had shared as we were sitting talking about deep things of God. We're talking about this very passage in Genesis chapter 3 just a year ago yesterday. And it popped up in the feed that we were discussing how God tempted Eve as a way to subvert authority. And we can get into all that later, but we we're talking about the depth of that. And I said, I know, I know why God tempted Eve and not Adam. Or how I Satan tempted Eve and not that's why my wife is here. See, she helps me out. Why Satan tempted Eve and not Adam, right? Because if he would have tempted Adam, he would have never offered a piece of fruit. We came to the conclusion if he tempted Adam, he would have said, Look at that chicken over there. His wings are delicious. You know, that's how Adam would have fallen. I'm quite convinced. What we see is a story here in Genesis chapter 3 about how Adam and Eve failed to find the importance of in the word of God. So I'm going to read it together, starting in verse 1, reading through verse 7, and we're going to nitpick apart exactly what is going on with the words of God. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, here's your question, Did God actually say, You shall not eat from the tree in the garden, of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, 
But God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. For when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. It's always struck me that this whole conversation between the serpent, the devil, and Eve and Adam all started with a simple question. Did God actually say? Is that really what God said? We realize that the sin was taking of the fruit and eating it. But the doubt creeped in, the temptation creeped in, when we start questioning whether God's words are true or not. There's a subtleness in the first few chapters of Genesis that are really easy for us to miss in the English language that would not have been missed at all to a a native Hebrew reader. And actually, uh, we'll point out that that we can see it clearly even in English, thanks to some really good translations that I'm sure you have a copy of, because most are. We're going to look at some subtleties that that teach us the real problem that is underlying. The first thing, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down, is it's easy to manipulate God's Word when you remove His relationship. It's easy to manipulate God's words when you remove His relationship. I have read countless articles from Christian pastors, I'll put Christian in quotation marks, from from ministers and clergy all across this country that try to tell us that sin, that we know Scripture says is sin, is biblically justified, and they will butcher the Word of God to try to prove that point. And it breaks my heart. But what I've found is, when you remove the relationship from God, it is so easy to go and slice Scripture apart. By the way, you and I do this all the time. All the time. I do it as well. When I have something I want to find in the Bible, and I'm not concerned with God teach me something and reveal something to me, I want it to be, I go and I look for, I call them coffee cup verses, right? You can slap them on a mug, you can put them on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. I go and look for that one verse that makes me feel good about what I want to believe, and I leave God's relationship with me out of the question. God, it's not that I want to know what you really say, I want to know what I want to hear. When I remove God out of the relationship, it's so easy to butcher his word. I want to show you some subtleties that are happening here, but I don't think they're an accident, and they're really important to notice. All through Genesis chapter 1, we read about God creating everything, the, the entire universe, everything from the stars and the sky and the planets, outer space to uh, the, the land that you walk on and the plants that are growing up to, to humanity, to you, and to I. He's creating all things. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we read a verse that says just that, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word God there is him revealing to us for the first time a little bit about his character. This is what we're going to call this being who created everything. We're going to call him God. It's a proper translation of what this Hebrew word is, Elohim. Elohim is just 
literally the word we get God from. There's more than that. It's a plural word, and it talks about the Trinity, and we could get into that another time. What I want you to understand is this is a generic understanding of God. And when you think of the word Elohim, it always is in reference to God's might and strength and power, just like you would expect even a false God to be communicated. This is, this is a powerful, creator, otherworldly God. Quite honestly, when we think of the word Elohim, it's very easy to distance ourselves. He is God out there who did this. We're not worthy to be in his presence. He's the one who speaks stars into existence. Literally says, God spoke and the entire cosmos is created. In chapter 1 of Genesis, it is over and over and over again, God speaks, Elohim speaks, and it was created. And you read chapter 1 and you go, what an amazing, awe-inspiring, untouchable God. We cannot even fathom having anything to do with something so transcendent and otherworldly. There's a shift that takes place between chapter 1 and chapter 2. And if you read Genesis chapter 1, it's this big picture of God creating the entire cosmos all the way down to the ground before you. But in chapter 2, it, it does a rewind and it zooms in. So it's not that chapter 2 comes after chapter 1 chronologically. It's almost like you saw the big picture. Now let me give you some details. And, and God starts creating humanity and forming him with his hands. And you start to see this intimate picture of who God is. And we're introduced to God's name in a different way. In chapter 2, verse 4, it says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. This is the first time you see the phrase in all of Scripture, the Lord God. Now, this is where in English it's easy to move past it. We reference Lord all the time. To us, it's a, another word that we equate with God. And the word God, Elohim, is there, but that word Lord is special. If you have a copy of God's word in front of you, and, and I hope you do, if not, I'm going to show you an example on the screen. That word Lord is most likely in all capital letters. Most English translations put that word Lord or the word that's translated Lord in all caps. But real quick, if you have your copy of God's Word in front of you, does your copy of God's Word have it in small caps? Most English translations do. That word, any time in the Bible that you see the word Lord in small caps like that, does not just mean Lord the way we think of it. It is actually the very name Yahweh. Anytime you see small caps Lord, it's Yahweh. This is the first time we're introduced to the personal name of God. He's not even revealed it to Adam and Eve yet. Moses knows it, who's writing this, but he's not even revealed it to all of humanity, but Moses is telling us whether he's spoken it yet or not, this is that personal God who's going to come and form with his hands. We're going to find out later in chapter 3 that God personally walks regularly in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. He has this personal relationship so all of chapter 2, you'll read over and over, the Lord God did this. Yahweh personally did this. He was invested in humanity in this way. It's not just Elohim, it's Yahweh Elohim. The Lord God, this personal, intimate, walk with humanity creator. We have these two pictures of who God is. Great, mighty, untouchable Elohim. The one that we would cower to be in his presence. And then we have Yahweh, the Lord God, who walks with you, who holds you, who uses his hands to form you. 
who cares intimately about your life and the details and the struggles that you're going through that wants to have that relationship with you. This is a, a major, major transition in the writing from Elohim to Yahweh. And we build all that to get back to our story in chapter 3. Because it's no mistake the name that Satan uses when he talks to Eve. Look in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did Elohim, God, actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He removes the personal relationship aspect when he approaches Eve. You won't find the, the serpent in this passage at all referencing Yahweh, the Lord God. It's always that that guy up there who created everything and you couldn't possibly know, this acknowledgement of his greatness, but this intentional ignoring of the relationship, did he really say? I do not think it's an accident that the devil refuses to use God's personal name. The devil knows it's easy to manipulate the word of God when you can remove the relationship, when there's not a connection of someone you, you care and know intimately, when it's just that other God or that, that large creator, that distant individual who is all of those things. When you strip away the personal nature of who God is, it's so easy then to say, I, I want to see what I want to see. God's not invested in me. God's not personally there with me. He doesn't have an interest in what I'm, I'm going through. You and I need to be very careful that we do not approach the word of God in a manner that says, God, I want to see what I want. And I want to remove your relationship from the picture. Several things happen after, after the serpent begins talking to Eve. The first thing is, he encourages her to ignore some words that God speaks. Ignoring words God says leads to accepting sinful actions. So one of the things that the devil does is, is say, don't worry about what he said over here. It's not important. Let's cut that out of the conversation for just a bit. And when we start ignoring things that God clearly has told us, we always find ourselves stepping into a sinful action. We'll look at chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and the tree was desired to, be, uh, to make one wise, and we'll pause halfway through the verse there. When the woman saw that it was good, there was a delight, that it was desired, no mention of the command. When the woman ignored that God said don't touch it and she only saw what she wanted. When she ignored the command not to eat when she stood back and said, I'm desiring it, and I don't care that God said, if I eat it, I will die. When she ignored the words of God, the action in the rest of verse 6, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. To every time we ignore the words of God, every single time we lead ourselves into sinful action. Every single time. It's so easy to look at things before us and say, but it looks good, and it's appealing, and I know God said, but. I know the command is, except for my situation. I know how many times I've done counseling with, with individuals in my office, and it's always, I know the right thing to do, 
But let me explain to you why I'm doing it differently. Breaks my heart every single time. When we ignore the words of God, it always leads to us walking down a path of sinful activity. And it does not matter whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years. It doesn't matter whether you were created five minutes ago or five years ago. All that matters is if God says it and we ignore it, we are leading ourselves to sin. God's words matter. But the second thing that Satan loves to do is not just to have her ignore the command, but he loves to add additional content to the word of God. So what we find is that when we start adding words to what God says, we create legalism in our own hearts. We set up rules and boundaries that God does not put. We set up standards for ourselves that God does not say. This is what we find Satan doing, asking a simple question. Did God really say? And Eve comes back by quoting the word of God and adding to it. Look at what she says in verse 3. God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now you can read chapter 2, if you would like. It's your homework assignment. And I want you to find where God spoke to humanity and said, don't touch the tree. I don't believe you will find that anywhere. I know you will not find that anywhere. This is Eve putting a rule in place. By the way, let me stand for just a moment and say, I think it's a pretty good rule. I do. The way I, I envision it, and I don't know if this is true or not, this is the Trey Reed interpretation of how things might have happened, right? The way I, I think I, it probably went down was uh, in Genesis chapter 2, Adam is created, Eve is not yet created, and God tells Adam, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or else you'll die. Don't eat it. You can eat all the other trees, not the one. And then later we read that he, he takes a side from Adam and he creates woman, and they're together, and then we get into chapter 3, and we never hear recorded, whether he did or not, we don't know, we never hear recorded that God speaks directly to Eve. I think probably there's a good chance that Adam said, listen, I know you were created just a few minutes ago. There's a really important rule we have in the garden, okay? Like really important if we want to stay here. Don't eat that tree right there. And Adam probably went, you know, it's probably a good idea. We just don't even touch it. Just probably just safe. I will say, I'm a parent of children. It's a good rule. Like, that might kill you. Stay away from it. Like, just don't even go near it. Right? The problem wasn't the rule. The problem was Eve saying, God said, don't touch it. The problem was not that there were boundaries, right? The problem is when we say, God's word declares, and that, that's legalism. You know what the danger is with adding to God's word is that Eve went and she touched the fruit. And when she touched the fruit, nothing happened. She didn't die, right? And all of a sudden she goes, God said if I touched it, I would die. Legalism, equating something to God that is not what God said. And then she starts doubting. Well, if God was wrong in this, he wasn't. If God was wrong in this, maybe he's wrong in the next. Legalism leads to our own sin. Because when we break our own rules and say we broke God's rules, even though God has never said it, we, we have to step back and go, maybe I can take another step further. That does not mean that rules are not important. I have three children, and we have some pretty specific rules in our house. The Bible does not tell us that they are not allowed to be on their phones till the afternoon and they have to turn them off at bedtime. The Bible doesn't tell us that. That's a rule for our house. Right? 
It's not legalistic to say that. It'd be legalistic if I said, the Lord told me to tell you to put your phone away. That, right, that is legalism. We do this all the time with our own lives. And we do it for safety reasons, and quite honestly, they're good reasons. We understand that, that if we lead ourselves to sin, it leads to death. So we want to create boundaries that keep us as far away from that as possible. We have to remember what God says and what precautions we have taken. We have to be able to separate God commands and, and I'm protecting. The biggest issue with Eve was that she doubted what God said. Is that really the words of God? He really say I would die. He really say I shouldn't touch it. Did he really say there's consequences? We start questioning the word of God, taking words away, adding words to it always leads us to a place that separates us from him. So this morning, how do we how do we make sure that we cling to and I mean cling to the words of God? I think it goes back to our first observation. Do you have a relationship with God that you're seeking his words? I want to know what you say. I want to know what you're teaching. Not I want to read and memorize. Not I want to have all of this understanding or knowledge. I want to know you intimately. And when I know you, when I have that relationship, I trust that your word becomes a guide for my life. So this morning I wonder... As you prepare to invest in the word of God as we're calling you to invest, can you first say, God, I just want to know Yahweh, the Lord, my God. I just want to have a relationship that he walks beside me and teaches me so that when I open up his very words, I can have confidence that he says what he says. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for clearly communicating to us. And Lord, I beg your forgiveness. Because so often I approach the word of God and look for the word of God to appease my own thoughts instead of looking to the word of God for what it says. Father, I pray that every time I listen for you, I listen for you as one who walks beside me. I thank you that you are Elohim creator and over all your power is amazing. But right now, God, I need to know you as Yahweh. I need to know you as the one who not only created it all, sustains and loves it all. Father, let me seek you in a relationship with you above all else. And Lord, as I do, reveal to me your very words that I may live them faithfully. It's in your name we pray. Amen.